0: This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Elon Musk completed his on-off-on takeover of Twitter, closing a deal worth $44 billion. His first action was reportedly to fire the social media platform's CEO, Parag Agrawal, and several other top executives. Despite promising to limit censorship on the site, Mr. Musk must also convince advertisers that Twitter will not descend into a free-for-all. Adverts contributed nearly nine-tenths of Twitter's revenues last year. America's economy expanded by 2.6% in the third quarter, the strongest annualized growth rate since last year, but that was largely due to a drop in imports and a surge in exports. Domestic demand rose by just 0.5%. Consumer spending slowed. Separately, the average interest rate on a 30-year mortgage rose to 7.08% for the first time in 20 years. Interest rate rises by the Federal Reserve are calling the housing market. Russia's President Vladimir Putin declared that the West's, quote, dominance over world affairs is coming to an end in a speech to the Voldai Discussion Club, a talk show in Moscow. Meanwhile, the White House cautioned that any attacks on American satellites would be met with retaliation after a senior Russian official called them quote, legitimate targets if they were involved in the war in Ukraine. Amazon's share price plummeted by about 15% in post-session trading, The e-retailer's quarterly revenues grew by 15% year-over-year to $127.1 billion, though still fell short of forecasts. Net income declined by 9% to $2.9 billion. Apple, meanwhile, beat analysts' expectations to report record results for the July-September to quarter. Revenues at the iPhone maker rose by 8% year-over-year to $90.1 billion, net income was $20.7 billion. The European Central Bank has doubled its key interest rates to 1.5%, the highest level since 2009, and signalled that it would increase further. The ECB is determined to curb, quote, far too high levels of inflation. The euro area's figure was 9.9% in September. European leaders voiced concern over raising rates and dampening demand given that Europe is heading into a recession. Royal Dutch Shell posted underlying profits of $9.5 billion in the third quarter, more than double the figure in the same period last year, but a slowdown from a bumper second quarter. The war in Ukraine briefly pushed oil prices to $120 a barrel. Europe's largest oil and gas companies said they would raise its payout to shareholders by 15%, amid calls for a more stringent windfall tax. Stormont, Northern Ireland's parliament, has been recalled in an 11th-hour attempt to form a government. The developed region's power-sharing agreement collapsed in May, when Sinn Féin, the left-wing party associated with Irish unification, won the election. The DUP, which came second, want a closer trade union with Britain. This year's second election will be triggered if no compromise is reached by midnight. And fact of the day, 61%, the share of countries where adherence to the rule of law, fell in the past year, according to the World Justice Project.
1: And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. META'S UNHAPPY ANNIVERSARY One year ago, on Friday, Mark Zuckerberg changed the name of his company from Facebook to META. Under that new banner, just about everything has gone wrong. Earlier this year, the company reported its first year-on-year drop in quarterly revenue and the first decline in users of Facebook, its social network. Investors hoped it was a blip. But on Wednesday, Meta said quarterly revenue had fallen again, by 4%, and predicted it would drop in the next quarter, too. In response, the company's share price plunged by nearly a quarter. But these are mere earthly problems. Mr. Zuckerberg believes his company's future lies in the Metaverse, an online space to work, play, and watch ads. Meta has spent tens of billions of dollars building it, but fewer than 200,000 people reportedly use Meta's flagship Metaverse app. One day, the Metaverse may take off. The question is whether Meta, which has lost more than 70% of its market value this year, will still be around then. The Beat of a Different Drum in Pakistan On Friday... Imran Khan begins a protest march from the eastern city of Lahore to Islamabad, the capital. Pakistan's former prime minister demands that elections, scheduled for next year, are brought forward. Mr. Khan was ousted earlier this year by a vote of no confidence. He is hoping that a show of street power will pile pressure on the government to dissolve parliament. The former cricketer-turned-politician has gathered support by spinning a fantastical tale of an American plot to oust him from office. He recently presented himself as a headline candidate in a clutch of by elections He won six of seven seats. Mr. Khan's march adds to Pakistan's other political and economic woes. Massive flooding this monsoon season caused an estimated $40 billion in damages. The country is battling high inflation and energy shortages, as well as seeking $27 billion in debt rescheduling, much of it from China. If the government cracks down on Mr. Khan's march, more political turmoil will follow. More Gushing Profits for Exxon On Friday, ExxonMobil releases its results for the third quarter. America's largest oil firm has already hinted that it probably won't match the record $17.9 billion in profits it posted for the previous quarter, but that it will come close, despite oil prices falling from their dizzying heights after Russia invaded Ukraine. Cheaper crude, a result of Russia's continued exports, and the slowing global economy, combined with lower refinery margins to dent Exxon's haul but margins were boosted by sales of pricey natural gas, especially to energy-starved Europe. Now, gas prices have receded, but oil prices are up again, boosted by a big cut to the monthly output target of OPEC+, a cartel of producers. Exxon still has worries, such as its clash with America's energy secretary over caps on fuel exports. Earlier in October, the company left Russia empty-handed after President Vladimir Putin expropriated some of its Russian assets. But for the foreseeable future, energy scarcity will keep boosting their bottom line. Northern Ireland Heads to Elections Again Northern Ireland has had no regional government since February. Both of its two biggest parties can block the other from governing. Sinn Féin, which won its first election in May, wants a united Ireland. The runner-up Democratic Unionist Party wants to keep Northern Ireland British. At midnight on Friday, six months since the last election, their time to re-establish a power-sharing government ran out, triggering a fresh election. It will probably be held on December 15th. Both parties are expected to consolidate their positions with voters. Whichever wins, their main contention on the Northern Ireland protocol that created a new Irish sea border with Britain after Brexit will remain unresolved. To prevent the region from stagnating in the meantime, Westminster may give more power to civil servants who effectively ran the country the last time the government collapsed in 2017. Then, it took three years to replace them with politicians. The lengthy backlog of undertaken government decisions looks set to grow. When Harry Met Harry On Friday, Bros, one of Hollywood's first gay romantic comedies, is released in Britain. Co-written by its star, Billy Eichner, of Parks and Recreation, and by its director, Nicholas Stoller, of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the film is a sweetly old-fashioned New York rom-com in many respects. Mr. Eichner plays a celebrity podcaster who doesn't want a long-term relationship, but might be persuaded by a hunky lawyer played by Luke McFarlane, who he meets at a party. The film is anxious to mark itself apart from heterosexual smash hits, making copious references to Grinder, Poppers, Threesomes, and Foursomes. It also takes some satirical swipes at Brokeback Mountain and other gay-themed dramas with straight casts. The numerous LGBT characters in Bros are all played by LGBT actors. American box office sales have so far disappointed. Mr. Eichner partly blamed homophobia, but the fact is that grown-up, sincere romantic comedies are out of fashion, whatever the sexuality of their leads. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to Espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday Which singer-songwriter gave a rapid tour of modern history in his song, We Didn't Start the Fire? Thursday Which American swimmer was the star of a series of aqua musicals in the late 1940s and early 50s? The winners of last week's crossword Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia Oliver Davies Hong Kong China North America Michael Zanaitis, Calgary, Canada Central and South America Sebastian Algodello Restrepo Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic Europe Imad Orif Edinburgh, United Kingdom Africa Christine Ryder, Tunis, Tunisia Oceania Richard Leon Greenwich, Australia They all gave the correct answers of restitution, Riyadh, trusts, and nature. Check back tomorrow for this week's Crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Sylvia Plath. The abstract kills. The concrete saves. That's the World in Brief from The Economist. Available three times every day of the week.